Hello and welcome to the latest episode of Three Peas in a Pod. I'm Paul Jarvis, editor of Partnerships Bulletin and P3 Bulletin, and today I'm joined by my colleague focusing on the Middle East market, Alicia Buller. She's interviewing Nicholas de Koning, head of PPP Bids and Asset Management at developer Bezix, and who is based in Dubai. Alicia and I will then discuss some of the main points coming out of the conversation. Partnerships is really happy to have you here today. Best at doing big stuff in the Middle East, working on some really landmark projects, and I expect that you'll be involved in lots more in the future. So I'd like to ask you, Nico, where do you see the big opportunities in the Gulf PPP market? Well, obviously, um, first of all, thank you for having me, uh, Alicia. Well, obviously, it is, of course, the kingdom of Saudi Arabia where we're looking to, and I think everybody is just by its magnitude and also by its ambitions. But I would certainly also, yeah, I would not neglect what is going on in the UAE. And I would especially say Abu Dhabi, where with the the launch of an audio PPP agency, there is a lookout on a very healthy pipeline of very bankable and well-structured PPP projects in which we are already participating. And I also know, and I think that has been recently announced in the paper, that Dubai is also very ambitious when it comes to PPPs. So everybody is waiting, is expecting a very nice, good, big, bankable PPP pipeline being launched in Dubai too. Recently, we saw the launch of the sewage treatment tunnel project or the launch or the announcement. So yeah, we are expecting that to come to the market, hopefully by the end of the year or beginning next year. I would say those three geographical areas would for me personally and for BASICS as an industrial equity provider be the areas of interest. I mean, we're all, I think, waiting anxiously on the Bahrain Metro PPP that I think is to come out at any moment, the RFP. So I think that one I want to maybe take out as a special that would, of course, be a very welcome and much-awaited bit, seeing the size and also the fact that it is a, a metro PPP. Yeah, that must be the first one in the region. So it seems to me in the last two years, there has been a major pickup in PPP activity in the Gulf. Is that correct to say that? Yeah, that's correct to say. As basics, we've been active in the PPP market here since, I think, 15 years. It all started with our ASPCL, the sewage treatment network in Ashman, And I think that was closed around 15 years ago and more, even more. And I personally have been here for nearly six and a half years now. And yes, we see an evolution, both in character of the assets that are being tended and also in the volume, luckily. So at what we have seen, I think everybody can confirm that, that it all started with the pure necessity of having reliable power. So a lot of power IPPs that have been tended and uh, being closed here. Then there was a shift to sewage treatment plants and desalination plants, which still, what with the growing population, of course, is still ongoing, but we have seen a new wave of waste treatment PPPs coming to the region. And we talked about that before, social infrastructure. So we can say that in terms of volume, the amount of PPPs is growing steadily. 
Would it be fair to say that the Gulf is one of the most active hotspots now for PPPs in the world, in terms of volume, variety? It's a bit hard to say because I used to work, before I came here, in the Benelux market. I know, for example, in my home country, the Netherlands, the PPP market has unfortunately uh, has been barely stopped. Uh, luckily, in in Belgium, it's picking up. So I have... I'm not 100% sure because I don't have the overview in Europe how active the PPP market is there. Okay, I follow the, the usual websites and the platforms to follow up. But okay, let's be a bit frank. And yes, I dare to say that a lot of equity investors are looking at this region for the five to 10 years to come. And we also see them slowly coming in. I, I think it might take another one or two years, but I expect that all the usual sub, uh, suspects, uh, the pure infrastructure equity providers will be present here in the region. Mm. I think, again, the installation of the audio PPP department is a sign that the governments are investing here in the reliability of, of a pipeline, but also reliability of the quality of documentation, reliability of the, the teams that are following up on behalf of the procurer. And that for a long term. So yeah, that can only mean one thing, that that PPPs are here to stay and are here to grow. How do you see the Gulf PPP market developing over the next five years? You just touched on something there. You mentioned digitization, more PPP departments in governments, more commitment to PPPs. What else might we see in terms of PPP evolving? We went from PPPs in power and water and then waste. And what we see now is that the population here in the region is growing rapidly. So I think that is one of the reasons why we see a shift towards social infrastructure PPPs. That is already going on. For example, as you know, we won the Zayed City School PPP in Abu Dhabi. That project is now under construction. We've made a bid for the Cardiology Center of Excellence here in Dubai. And I know in Saudi Arabia, there are already two waves of schools that have been tended and awarded. And the same goes for the Al-Ansar Hospital PPP. So what we see is a shift towards social infrastructure. And hopefully, and that's a bit personal, uh, hopefully it will also be the case for transport infrastructure PPP. And that's why I'm also very curious and happy to see that the PPP for the Bahrain Metro is about to be launched. So the evolution is towards social infrastructure and hopefully also transport infrastructure. If you have seen the the pipeline that has been launched by NCP, I think a few months ago, you can see plenty of social infrastructure and airports and dry ports and highway PPPs. So from pure power and water, we see now the PPP model being applied on basically every type of infrastructure and every type of utility. So you just see a broadening of the type of PPPs that are uh, coming to the market here. Mm -hmm. Would you see the fact that the PPP sector is moving into social services is a mark of maturity in the region? Yeah, I I would say so, because for me, that is a sign that procurers are convinced of the model. Because, look, these are... Of course, these are necessities for the development of the country, but there's just a difference of the sort of the primary utilities as power and water and basically services for schools, courts, healthcare. So the fact that 
they are being tended in a PPP tells me that it is a deliberately done because procurers believe in the model. They believe that in the benefit of having a timely delivery and also once delivered, you have a guaranteed and high level of of performance of the facility management or, or operations. So that is for me a sign of a maturing PPP market. People believe in the merits of a PPP model other than maybe spreading out your investment. They really see it as a delivery model, a secure delivery model of high quality infrastructure. And I also think it's a deliberate choice and it fits the picture to attract foreign investment, to diversify the economy, because I think that is a benefit of PPPs. And I think that's been recognized. And for me, that's also a sign of uh, a maturing market. The third signal for me, I touched upon it before, the fact that, for example, Abu Dhabi has installed ADIO as a PPP agent, so a dedicated group of specialists that have the means and the knowledge to bring to the market bankable PPP projects that are during tender and during development up to, yeah, basically up to operations are well guided. Uh, that for me is a, is a very good sign of a maturing market because that, I mean, also for the procurer, of course, tendering on PPP is costly. I mean, for us as developer and contractor, it definitely is, but a good PPP will also take resources, both in quality of people and money on the procurer side. The fact that that is being acknowledged and also being catered for is, I would say, the third sign of maturity in the PPP market here in the GCC. The same goes for Saudi. If you see how NCP is uh, sort of coordinating the whole PPP market in Saudi, where there is already, especially in the water projects, a very yeah, mature way of tendering PPP projects is also a very good sign. Okay, NCP has been around for, for a while, but their move into a very ambitious pipeline of, I think, over 200 PPP projects tells me that the kingdom is also ready for handling a big pipeline of PPP projects on a yearly basis. Very interesting answers. Thank you. Moving on to BESIX itself. What does BESIX look for in a project that it sees as a viable project to work on? What factors do you look for? BESIX is a Belgian contractor. We have around, I think, a turnover of $3.5 billion. We have three business lines. Contracting will always remain our core business, but apart from that, we have a real estate development, predominantly in Europe, and a concession and assets branch with two headquarters, one in Brussels, doing mostly the Benelux market, and then here since 15 years in Dubai. So I'm heading the the PPP department, and we have a team of pit managers and a team of people that follow up on ongoing PPPs. So first of all, since we are a contractor, we are looking to projects that are in our core focus area when it comes to contracting. These are marine works. Unfortunately, there are not too many PPP works in that sector. Civil infrastructure, right? the, the tunnels, bridges, highways, waste to energy plants and other environmental plants like sewage treatment plants and what we call special projects that can be anything either in size, we built the Royal Atlantis, we built Bush Khalifa. So that can be in size, 
or in a specialty like a, a stadium, these kind of highly specialized, very, I wouldn't say once in a lifetime, but not products that are not coming by too often. So if there's a PPP in those sectors, we will be there and we will also be there as an EPC contractor. If it's maybe not in this focus area, we will act as an investor and always as an O&M contractor because we have a pool of people that blue and white color that are experienced in operating plants and doing facility management. And sort of this technical added value, we then like to see represented in a significant share in the SPV, say between 20 and 40%, depending on the size of the product. So first of all, we look at the, the type of asset. Then, of course, we have a limited amount of people, so we will invest in those projects that are where the market is mature, but a market where a healthy return can be obtained. What we mean is that we are in there for the long term. We are doing the, the PPPs for having a recurrent revenues. So we are not there to come in and quickly go out again. So we want to have a regular source of dividends. That means that we tend to stay away from the type of projects that you can only win if you nearly obliged to pump up your IRR with a lot of financial engineering. We are bidding for projects that have a decent IRR where the dividends coming from the projects will come in. Of course, we like it as early as possible, but say over the whole lifetime of the project, because we, we're there, we have, I, I don't think we have ever sold down in one of our PPP. So we're there for the recurrent uh, uh, income. Of course, we're also looking at areas. I think we, I already explained what areas we are looking to, predominantly at this moment, UAE. We're looking at Bahrain, KZ. And I think these are the most important, say, criterias for us to go for a PPP project, yes or no. And, and what's the likelihood of Bethets investing into more or, or working on more education projects in the region? Yeah, because I think... The good thing about educational projects that they are normally availability payment based, which fits with our say reliable recurrent income goal. There's also quite a big pipeline. We expect the pipeline only to get bigger. Maybe to explain a bit, uh, as you may notice in our core type of projects that we are chasing as a contractor, schools or educational buildings are, are not there. So there we might consider not being the EPC ourselves. So on the Adia Schools project, we have engaged with another contractor, the UNEC, who is doing the EPC works for us because that is basically their speciality. The good thing, what we can add, yeah, we have a lot of people that have skills in designing and delivery of projects. So we then take the role of a PMC. So basically we're there to make sure that we take care of the timely delivery without taking the, the liability still stays with the EPC, but we supervise the works and we guide the EPC contractor to make sure in everybody's interest in the end that they deliver the project in time and also according to the quality required. So what can be improved? Yeah, since we are a contractor developer, right, we call ourselves an industrial equity provider. I think I tried to explain what it uh, entails. There's, of course, some things that... I wouldn't say are more controversial, but are food for discussion. And I already 
well, opened the discussion, I think, on the last IPFA uh, conference here in uh, in Abu Dhabi. There are some fields of improvement, we think, here in the PPP market, despite the very good signals and the obvious maturing of the market. For example, uh, the price escalation protection, there is really, well, as you know, an EPC has to give a price that is valid for normally 12 months. We all know the volatility in transport and material prices at the moment. So it's extremely difficult for an EPC to make a realistic and competitive pricing and taking this in account. So we really hope that procurers and maybe also consultants to procurers will pick up the discussion to see how that can be catered for. Because there are examples in Europe where with uh, certain formulas uh, representing the different materials, fuel and other prices, you can link them to indices and agree, okay, in the, in the coming year, the price can be adapted according to that pre-agreed formula. I, I think there are ways of doing that and, and probably it will lead to a better price for both the EPC contractor as well as for the procurer. Another thing that is maybe maybe also up for improving, although it's already going quite well, is as always a realistic public sector comparing price. So we know, and I think that's a healthy principle that PPPs are being approved on certain budgets. And I'm also aware that it's extremely difficult to make the right budget if you don't sort of work your way through the project. But I would still dare to emphasize the importance of having the right expectations when getting an approval for launching a PPP so that the price that procurers have in mind is realistic. And I think what makes PPP pricing quite difficult is, of course, it's it's financing building CAPEX and OPEX. So that's already three different parts. And I think sometimes procurers or consultants uh, underestimate the effect of the quality parameter. In all the PPPs, rightfully, procurers are looking for I would say maybe not the golden, but at least a silver standard. That's why people do PPPs. You want to make sure, and especially in this region where demands and expectations on facility management and operations in general are high, you want to deliver during 20, 30 years guaranteed a certain level of performance of your asset. And maybe that fact is not always taken in account. Also because procurers, and that is also normal, don't always have the exact information about their current assets that are not being operate, operated under a PPP. It's just nearly impossible to get the full picture of what an asset is costing a procurer during its, its life cycle. But I, I still would like to emphasize that it's extremely important for the tender process to, to have the, a realistic expectation on the price of the total of the bid. And the last point I would like to highlight is with this PPP pipeline, although we're happy to have less competition, but if you want to sustain this PPP pipeline here in the region, you need contractors, developers to come to this region and start bidding on these PPPs. Otherwise, you might end up with too few bidders or, or no bidders at certain projects at all. So I would think that people would be attracted to come to this region or start ramping up their bid teams to bid on more projects if the procurer, and I know this is not very usual here in the region, but think about 
maybe giving a, a stipend to parties that are bidding or making a serious bid on a project that just like the procurer, what I, a contractor or a developer is making a substantial cost to make a good bid on a bankable PPP project. If you know that a certain part of these costs are being reimbursed, if you make a good bid, but you're still not being awarded, then I think companies will invest in ramping up their bid management teams. Investors will come here and you will have more bidders on the projects. Again, not necessarily uh, as a party that has been in the region for more than 60 years, maybe not necessarily always in the interest of ourselves, but on the individual project, but as a whole, as a industrial equity provider, we think that is something to consider. It will attract more bids. I think it's probably essential to realize the ambitions in the PPP uh, market here. It seems like everything is in motion at the moment. Momentum is building, isn't it? Yeah, I would say everything is ready for that because if PPP offices or PPP agents like IDEO and NCP are being installed, yeah, then I would say the next step is as part of the maturing market is considering these kind of enhancements that just make the depth of the the PPP market bigger. Finally then, on that note, do you see that there's um, space for more local contractors and partners and facilitators as well as international? Would that help with the mix of people in the ecosystem? I think there is already, I don't know the KSA market too well, but I know in the kingdom there is already a lot of local developers. I I think what the market needs there is uh, a few international developers stepping in. For me, it's fine that there are not too many there, but because we are are a developer developer too. Yeah, look, again, the ambitions are so big that I would say nobody is helped if bids don't or tenders don't receive enough interest from bidding parties. So thank you for that, Alicia. I think that was a pretty good rundown around what is happening in some of the major Middle East markets, actually. I think as well, it was quite a good contrast with you know his previous markets of the Benelux that he mentioned, and particularly mentioning the Netherlands. I think investors will be looking at this market, the current market for the next sort of five to 10 years. And I think you know that was perhaps the position we were in five, six years ago with the Benelux region. And you know, as you mentioned, the Netherlands, I think you know, there were lots of projects happening, lots of things going on, lots of procurements taking place. And that's obviously quietened down a considerable amount in recent years for various reasons to do with those markets. Politics is always the case, but also particularly around the Netherlands and their lock program, I think, you know, getting to really the end of that program in terms of what was needed at that time. So yeah, interesting now, obviously the focus much more on the Middle East. Yeah. So what what are your thoughts on on that as well? Yeah, I agree. I, I thought it was an interesting comparison. And Nico's right that the Middle East is one of the most active markets now for PPP. We're certainly seeing something of a boom time for PPP in the Middle East region. And from what I can see, we're just at the start of that cycle. Many of the Gulf countries have announced visions which come to a close around the end of 2030. But that's not all. They're rolling on plans. Some of Saudi Arabia announced news the other day that it was looking already at its Saudi 2040 plan, which is worth over $1 trillion. And, you know, if even 1% of that goes to PPPs, then we're looking at a very busy, active market. Yes, so I I don't see it slowing down. And and we saw earlier in April in Saudi Arabia, uh, the launch of 200 PPPs alone by the 
government and there's more PPPs outside of the government that are being launched in some of the related projects and giga projects. Since the pandemic, it seems like there's been almost a shift in, definitely in strategy for the Saudi government in, in particular, whereas they used to kind of happily use their sovereign wealth to invest quite freely in projects. I think they got a bit of a shock in the pandemic when the oil prices plunged. And this meant that suddenly their coppers were running out much more quickly than previously. So I think it's caused them to have a bit more of a cautious view and then look outside to international investment, which has been great news for the international community. Yeah, and I think, you know, as well, it was mentioned, you know, that rapid population growth, that kind of thing, is also having a big impact, isn't it, on how they see the world, how they interact with the world. And as part of that push towards PBP is about changing as you say, that sort of reliance on the hydrocarbon economy towards something they hope is going to be more sustainable in the long term, you know, using PVP as a way not only of getting people in to build stuff, but actually there for the long term, maintaining it, operating it as well, which I think is really important. Yes. Again, that's another kind of mindset shift that's taking place. The primary reason, actually, that all of the Gulf countries have put these visions in place is to diversify their economies away from hydrocarbons. Hydrocarbons are expected to peak around 2030, and for their economies to be sustainable, they need to start diversifying into all kinds of sectors, but energy, education, healthcare, and then they're also looking at water and essential services as well. And this is a very good way to do it. You get high quality services, you get guaranteed maintenance. And also in terms of sheer volume, you have more people supplying projects. Yeah, absolutely. And you mentioned obviously schools there as one of the areas. And obviously Nico himself mentioned schools as a project that he and, and his company have been involved in. The fact that they are availability based as well, I think, may help that market. And the more availability based projects we see coming through, perhaps that may also trigger more investment interest from outside the country and outside the region, comparing it to, say, a you know, toll road where the risk is very much around how many cars are going to travel along this road versus the availability-based risk is much more manageable, much more clear what's coming down the line in terms of, you know, you have a school building, you have maybe a hospital building. As long as those buildings are available, then, you know, you've got a, a clear revenue stream coming through there for the private sector. So mm-hmm. I think that's quite a, an interesting way that things may be going as well yes yeah um it's certainly the availability aspect like you say from schools and hospitals and another reason is is just the sheer demand so along with the growing population they need public services and they need them quite quickly and they need them to be high quality so i think we can expect to see a lot more investment and interest in social service ppps in the next couple of years particularly education in in saudi arabia there's a, a big pipeline of schools coming in yes yeah. And I think obviously it was mentioned, and I think, I don't think there's probably a conversation I've had and probably the same for you in recent months that hasn't mentioned price being an issue and, you know, the inflation, everything that goes with that being an issue, obviously in the Middle East, but everywhere at the moment. But, you know, and in fact, one person has said to me quite recently in the UK that maybe now isn't the best time to be making the case for infrastructure investment because of all those issues that are kind of crowding in and making costs escalate. But maybe you can talk a little bit about this, but the Middle East may be kind of better placed than than some to deal with that. Yes, it's it's absolutely better placed in terms of finances. 
because they're very wealthy countries and they have very well-stocked sovereign wealth funds. And they also have the ambition and the commitment to rapidly transform their societies. And they've got that government vision behind the funding, which is also important. But in, yeah, certainly in terms of cash, there, there's no problem there. And I think the rest of the world is cottoning onto that in a very globally, economically brought climate at the moment. Yeah. yeah. It's one place where investment is flush. Yeah. And I think, as you say, political will, I guess, is, is mm. clearly there very strongly in a way that as you're sitting in the UK at the moment, at a time when things are being cut, you know, whether it's the green agenda, whether it's HS2 potentially being rolled back, being modified because of concerns over the price, over the cost and over the political impact of doing versus not doing. In many ways, that's not the case for many of these countries in the Middle East we're talking about. Saudi Arabia, obviously, kind of the, the main focus of a lot of this, but other countries as well, where they recognise the only way to really get their economies transformed mm-hmm. is to to make this investment now, almost regardless of what, what else is going on, what, what the climate is for that investment. Yeah, they've got a very, very clear vision of what they need to do and in, in a certain time frame, there's an urgency behind it. And one other trend I'd like to note is that if you look at those Gulf governments, they're mobilising PPP units within their governments. I think it was in Abu Dhabi the other day, I read that they're just growing and dedicating resource to PPP units, which shows again that kind of political will behind it. Yeah, definitely. I think one other thing to touch on before we finish that was mentioned in that interview, which I thought was, was quite interesting, is around... This idea of a, a stipend to, to bidding parties. I know it's something that, again, has been sort of banded around, mentioned different countries as a potential way of getting bidders in. It's something that Ireland has sort of toyed with a little bit in the past. It's been touted at one time sort of as a, a way to, to deal with some of the issues around PFI in the UK. It never came about. But it's definitely an interesting way, you know, that this idea that as a bidder, you maybe get some money back to cover your costs of of actually bidding the project if you don't win so that could help actually you know at a time when as we've just been saying you know that all these potential projects that are all coming out as a bidder you you're kind of almost overwhelmed with the amount of options you've got so where do you put your money i guess there's that idea might might actually help make those decisions yeah has this stipend worked in the past that you can think of for any countries well it's not really been tried anywhere sort of fully in this sense i think ireland probably came closest to it i know they they sort of did a bit of work around after the 2008 financial crash that obviously affected ireland quite quite heavily and it was a kind of way of trying to encourage people back to that market and indeed i mean you you look at ireland now it's probably one of the top performers in the european ppp market so they didn't quite go fully into the that idea of a stipend but they've clearly done plenty to encourage bidders back so I can see it potentially working for some of these countries. I guess the issue is if everyone does it, then it doesn't make much difference, I suppose. Yes. Yeah. I don't see why a stipend would not be introduced. The Gulf is known for its very innovative, open approach to all kinds of strategies. And I think it's definitely one to watch. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. And yeah, I think we obviously will keep an eye on that. And well, all these potential projects, these plans, these visions that are coming out of, of the region, I'm sure we'll, well, we will definitely return to the Middle East in, a, in the podcast in the future as well. So thank you very much both to Nicholas and to you, Alicia. Thank you.